Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. First, I want to say thank you so much to everyone for the warm birthday wishes. Uh, you know, I have never had this happen before, but um, one of our teens asked if they could sing a solo happy birthday for me. So, Allie, if you want to come on up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, uh, so, uh, but really, um, thank you all for the warm wishes. Uh, also, I want to thank everyone for just the overflow of love that y'all showed Clarice and the Nelson family. It really means a lot to me to get to say I get to be a part of this church family that does that so well. And uh, really has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the culture that y'all have set up here. And I really appreciate that. A couple of things that were mentioned. The, Melissa and some of the ladies were talking about how we have some little ones and some older little ones now. And so the whole idea with the children's church is we still have God's flowers, but now we've got another little area that we've decided to call little seeds. You know, they'll grow into God's flowers. So anyway, that's the idea. Both those groups are still here. They're just uh, sending them both out there and kind of trying to tell parents and visitors that if you've got a little, little one, there's a thing for them. And if you're a little older one. There's a thing for them. Uh, fifth quarter, uh, if you want to help with chips, queso, uh, toppings for nachos, anything you'd like to help with, just let me know so we can get that ready. Uh, that'll be this Friday night. And last thing, um, I Catherine has a birthday family get-together thing planned for me uh, today, so I won't be able to be at the nursing home at two for our monthly singing, but Andrew Cosper is going to lead that. And uh, so far, I've had a couple people tell me that they're coming, but I'd appreciate if you'd let me know if you're going to be at the nursing home at 2 to help sing. Uh, I know that they love that opportunity. So just let me or Andrew know so that we can you can get there. They'll take your temperature, and then you can go on in there. So uh, we're in our series on Daniel, and I was prepared for this to be my summary final kind of thing because these chapters... Chapters uh, 8 through 12 are just kind of uh, maybe not so digestible in this format. Um, but I decided uh, I am going to give you all one more visions sermon, okay? And if you're listening to this sermon and you are not familiar with the Bible, there is a very real chance that you're going to just, I'm going to miss you for most of this sermon. But I will tell you, if I miss you, I think I can get you back at the very end, okay? So don't, don't just check out completely. Um, but I, I think you'll see some cool things because last week in Bible class we talked about this idea about how in Scripture there are patterns. And there is a very real pattern. And, and, and the thing I said is that one of the clues for whether it's a pattern or not in Scripture, the number one most important thing is whether or not it culminates in Jesus Christ. If it doesn't, then it's not a pattern. The other thing I said is it's also probably a pattern if it originates at the very beginning of Genesis. Um, so thankfully today I'm going to preach on a pattern that has these three criteria. It starts in Genesis. It runs through the book of Daniel. That's why I'm preaching on it today, because it runs through Daniel chapter 9, and it has its culmination in Jesus Christ. So checks off three really great boxes. Um, so I hope you can follow along. I'm going to do my best. And uh, you don't have to turn there, but the first place we're going to go is Genesis 1. In our creation story that we read, God creates the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, it says he rests. Now, the better translation would probably be that he reigns like a king who presides over his creation that he's made. It's less about he goes to sleep because he's tired. And it's more like 
uh, after I've gone outside and mowed the yard and edged and weed-eated and leaf-blowed the leaves and I just sit back with a glass of sweet tea like, look at this. This is awesome. Look at my, my domain, you know? That's kind of what God does is he creates the world in six days and on the seventh day he reigns over creation. And we see from the very beginning that God says over his creation seven times it is good. So in seven days, God creates the world, and seven times he says it is good. So here we have this pattern that begins at the very beginning of Daniel, where we see that the number seven is pretty important in Scripture. Now I'm going to skip ahead to our book of Leviticus, Leviticus 25. If you want, you can turn to Leviticus 25, but you don't have to. You can follow along on the screen. We have this thing that God institutes with his people that we actually have no record in Scripture of the people actually doing this thing, but it is something that God institutes, and it's called this year of jubilee. So, I'm going to read from this, and I'm going to try and explain it. Leviticus 25, verse 8. Count off seven Sabbath years. Let me explain that. The way God saw it was when he gave the people the promised land, it was not the people's land. It was God's land that he was letting them steward. And after and every seven years, they were told, you can't do anything with the land. Don't grow anything. Don't plant anything. Give the land a year to rest every seven years, a Sabbath year. So every seven years is a Sabbath year. So he says, count off seven Sabbath years, okay? Seven years is Sabbath year. Now seven of those, you get to 49, right? Seven times seven. Seven times seven years. So that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate that 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. So we have this thing in Leviticus 25, and I'm not going to go into all the details. I'll save this for if ever I do a Leviticus series, uh, or maybe just a year of Jubilee series. But this very fascinating thing that God institutes, where basically it seems like we have this tradition that God instructs the people, where every seven times seven years, they are told that any debts that anyone owes to someone else are canceled. Anyone who has sold their family land to pay off a debt their land is now their family land again. Anyone who has sold themselves into slavery, this is a thing I've mentioned before, back in the day, if you were really, really in debt and you had no way of getting out of it, you could sell yourself to someone as a slave. In the year of Jubilee, that person is freed from slavery. And we get this very strange thing where God, I don't know if you could imagine anywhere else like it in, in ancient times where God says, for those of you who are basically crippled by your choices or the choices of your ancestors, every 50 years you are going to get this opportunity to get a clean slate, to have renewal and restoration. Every seven times seven years, God will wipe all debts and bring total restoration. So we see in Leviticus this, the year of Jubilee is a foretaste of the total restoration of all things. And you see this pattern of this seven sevens. Okay? Now, let's turn to our text in Daniel 9. Daniel 9, starting in verse 2. In the first year of King Darius's reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. Very fascinating. Daniel is writing about how he's reading from Jeremiah. Isn't that kind of cool? 
Like we read from Jeremiah 2 and Daniel's reading from Jeremiah. It's awesome. It's like a breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. He's reading from Jeremiah the prophet. And he, based on his reading of Jeremiah, he believes that this desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turn, now remember I've told you all these numbers have some symbolism, right? Okay. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And then I'm not going to read it, but we have this amazing like four or five paragraphs in a row where you get some awesome prayer language of pleading with God. If ever you're in a place in your life where you need to plead with God about something, turn to Daniel 9 and you've got some great crying out to God language here. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, for Jerusalem, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me, and he said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out. Isn't that cool? As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens, not just seventy years, but seventy sevens, are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. That's pretty beautiful language. Know and understand this. From this time the word from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens. And sixty-two sevens. I don't know about the sixty-two sevens, but I highlighted the seven sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, after the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And we could keep reading, but isn't that interesting? He said seven seventies, and then he says seven sevens. It's a good reminder that, like I said, all this number stuff, there's a lot of symbolism in it. But we see this pattern. Genesis 1, seven times. It is good, seven days of creation. We see the year of Jubilee. This seven seventh year, there will be this year of Jubilee. And now in Daniel, we are told, no, no, no. When Daniel is on his knees praying, God, when are you going to restore Jerusalem? When are you going to bring us back to our homeland? When are you going to let us live the way, life we want to live where you're God and we're worshiping you all the time? And he's praying about those 70 years and, God, and the angel comes and says, no, 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 it's not 70 years, it's seven sevens. Okay? Now, the restoration Daniel yearns for. This is a big takeaway from Daniel 9. The restoration Daniel yearns for will come to end sin, to atone wickedness, to bring righteousness, and to anoint the holy place after these seven sevens. All right. So now, if you want to turn to Matthew 1, I'd encourage you to do so. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, uh, this is kind of difficult. I didn't want to put it on the screen because it's hard to show. But we get this beginning of the Gospel of Matthew with what all of us love at the very beginning of a good story. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Riveting stuff, right? If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to just show it to you here. You know, you get these lists of names, right? And uh, there are lots of takeaways from this list. You could do lots of sermons about 
all the different takeaways that you have. Like you can do a whole sermon on the fact that this line came through Rahab. You could do a sermon on how Jesus' line came through Boaz and the story of Ruth. You could do a sermon on how this line came through and all these types of things. One of the things that Matthew definitely is trying to connect is the fact that he begins with Abraham. I believe it's Luke's gospel that begins at Adam, trying to connect Jesus all the way back to Adam. Matthew wants to connect you with Abraham, the promise that was made to Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He connects you with King David. Jesus is the... Jesus. But another thing that it's doing, and by the way, this is a stretch even for me, but one of the people that I revere the most as a New Testament scholar is the one that indicated this to me, so I'm not as afraid to bring it up. So, one thing that you may see in verse 17, after we get these three sections, we got from Abraham, then to David, then you have from David to the exile in Babylon, Daniel, then you have from Babylon to the Messiah. Okay, you see that? Do you see it in your Bibles, the three sections? In verse 17 it says, oh, the Gospel, Matthew and Jesus. In verse 17 it says, Thus, therefore, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So, one of the people that I love, a New Testament scholar, says, you can look at this one way and see the three sets of 14, or you can see six sets of seven. Fourteen is two sevens, okay? So, three sets of fourteen generations or six sets of seven generations. So, Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew, according to the person that I really respect, N.T. Wright, says that Jesus is the beginning of the seventh seven generation. That's pretty cool. This is what he says. Matthew arranges the genealogy into three groups of 14 names, or perhaps we should say into six groups of seven names. The number seven was and is one of the most powerful symbolic numbers, and to be born at the beginning of the seventh seven in the sequence is clearly to be the climax of the whole list. This birth, Matthew is saying, is what Israel has been waiting for for 2,000 years. That's pretty cool, y'all. I mean, come on. Matthew's doing some awesome stuff there. And so the thing that I want you to see, starting in Genesis, at the creation, when God reigned and it was good, seven goods, seven days, going to the year of Jubilee, this year where God will restore all things and God will make all debts canceled, where God will bring freedom for all slaves, the year of Jubilee, the seven, seven years. And then in Daniel, this promise that comes from the messenger Gabriel saying, actually, this thing that's going to come, this thing you've been waiting for of the end of sin, the atonement of wickedness, the bringing about of an everlasting righteousness, anointing God's holy place, it's coming, but not after seven years, after seven sevens. And now Matthew is trying to show you through his genealogy that Jesus is that one who has come to accomplish this. Luke, in his gospel, quotes from Isaiah and quotes the he quotes from Isaiah 61, and he says, I have come to set the captive free. I've come to do these things, to release the captive. And so we see in Matthew and in Luke, and you can also say clearly in, in John and in Mark, all of those gospel writers are trying to show you, and here's, if you're not familiar with the Bible, here's where I'm going to bring you back in. If you were lost in Genesis and in Leviticus, and in, here's where I'm going to bring you back to it. The bottom line is, is that there is a period of waiting. 
There is a period of longing that the people of God have always had to be restored, to be one with God like they were back in Genesis. And Jesus is the one you've been waiting for to fulfill all this. We have, you and I, at some point or another, have found ourselves asking questions like this. Is this all that life's about? Waking up, going to work, coming home, going to bed, being tired, waking up over and over. Is that all that life is about? We've asked ourselves, how can I find something that actually brings me peace? Every time I try to find it in shopping, in workaholism, in alcoholism, anytime I try to find it in these things, these things just, I try to find them to fill me and bring me peace, but they come up short. If any of you in here or listening have ever asked yourself, is there any way that I can find release from the traps of life that I'm living in? Is there a different way? All of Scripture, all of the patterns, every symbol, everything is culminating in the idea that, yes, those longing in your heart, as Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity into the human heart. Those longings that you have have been answered. They have found their culmination in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to all these questions. And he's not the answer in that it's like this, oh, sweet, if I just say I love Jesus, all that goes away. It's not that simple. But it is as simple as to say Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the restoration that those who are in debt to sin are looking for. He is the renewal that those who have found themselves going, I feel broken, I wish I could just have a chance to have life Start again. A jubilee year. I wish I could have a chance just to feel like my old life was dead and my new life has been born again. I wish there was something like that out there. There is. His name is Jesus Christ. He has come to set the captive free, both back then, in Daniel, in Leviticus, and today. The question for all of us is, will we decide, instead of looking other places, to say, He is the one I've been waiting for, and I am going to choose to follow Him. If any of you would like to learn more about what that looks like, to give up trying to chase that waiting anywhere else and to say, I'm going to find my purpose, I'm going to find my center, I'm going to find my, the one that fills my heart in Jesus Christ, you have an awesome opportunity all the time. We'd love to talk with you. If, if you have any prayer requests, anything that you, you feel like you're yearning for help, our elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing this song.